Good morning, Angelo. Good morning, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing not too bad. Had a bit of a late l- night last night. Um, so you might hear that in my voice, but otherwise good. Good. Got lots of things to say today. Nice. So, so yeah, go ahead. Kick us off. All right. So today, you... Well, today... So a few weeks ago, you started a new position, a new company, and they had a document that I think we're going to talk about today. Yeah, that's right. Um, Beginning of November, uh, I took a position uh, at Glitch, which was formerly Fog Creek Software, which was where I was working before. And one of the things that I found really interesting, which kind of uh, follows our our discussion of working spaces a little bit, because it made me think about the way I like to set up my office and the way I like to work. One of the things that uh, started uh, my my week there was uh, a form, a questionnaire, that was uh, given to me by my manager on my working preferences. And I'd never seen something like this before. Uh, the idea is, here are 12 questions that uh, you should answer honestly about the ways you like to work. Um, and your manager then comes in and fills in her uh, ideas on how they like to do these things. And you can, in a one-to-one, which is what we did, just talk about what exactly um, you all have in common or you know you need to be aware of uh, because communication is such an important part of a, a team, especially with a distributed team like ours. Yeah. So, and it's also it's also where things often break down, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So the um, uh, I, I you know I asked about discussing this uh, working preferences document on on the podcast and got the thumbs up. So we're gonna we're gonna go over it. Uh, some of the more um, I guess salient and relevant questions for us. That sounds awesome. All right. Have so you, you want to just hop into it? Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know if you've ever done something like this or heard of anyone doing something like this. Because it was a surprise to me. A really pleasant surprise. Yeah, it's definitely a pleasant surprise. I've never seen anything like this before. And I don't know. I wish I had. <laughs> yeah. I wish I worked at organizations that had this kind of thing in place. I think it shows a, a very... You know, it shows like a thoughtfulness about, you know, allowing your employees to do the best work that they can. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, It it shows a commitment to uh, improving your team. And the nice thing, as we'll see, is that this is kind of a living document that you can revisit. Because I know my working preferences change you know, pretty, pretty often, maybe not significantly, but I notice an evolution. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
some of the questions that I, I liked were, you know, what are the the top five things you need? And I like that they use the word need in a manager or managee. Um, but I don't think that's really necessarily relevant to the topics we discuss here. Um, mm-hmm. If you have any thoughts on that, Frank, we can we can talk about it. But what I liked um, were things like how how do you like to receive feedback? And for myself, uh, I really like context and feedback. I really like there to be some kind of genuine um, understanding of what you're giving me feedback on. So ongoing conversations are great. You know, I, uh, mm-hmm. I think that if you're not having a weekly one-to-one, um, it's hard to develop that kind of rapport because then, you know, whenever you check in on like a quarterly or yearly review, you get feedback and you're like, well, yeah, but this is not very timely. It's not very, you know, it's not very helpful. So it it feels more thoughtful and useful when it's coming from somebody with whom I'm building a rapport, you know, uh, with conversations over time. And, you know, having some good examples of the feedback, not just you did a great job on X. Okay, thanks. I I appreciate the, you know, sort of like the thumbs up. That's nice. But making it a little more specific uh, and a former manager of mine, Jacob Kroll, did a little talk uh, on this uh, about uh, the way the best, one of the best ways to give effective feedback is to give a a place, an, an, a behavior or action, and how it made you feel. So like in the meeting with the product team, when you said blah, 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 uh, it felt like you weren't quite um, taking into account some of this stakeholder's uh, requirements or whatever. stuff like that so Mm -hmm. that's a little more targeted and gives you like actionable um, feedback rather than just a pat on the back right and it makes sense too because if the feedback you got was something like take into account stakeholder you know like stakeholder um, like viewpoints more more often you know, that doesn't really say much as to, you know, what triggered that type of feedback, um, what exactly you need to improve, you know? So context is definitely important. Absolutely. What about you? How do you like to receive feedback? Um, I generally agree with what you said. Like, having this ongoing rapport, like, work is like a dance, you know? And... It's it's a dance between, you know, however large your organization is. You're not dancing alone. That's a great way of putting things. So if you want to dance well with others, you need to, you know, you, you need to practice often together. And being able to have like these one-on-ones like creates a rapport where, you know, you both know each other. You both care about each other's goals and aspirations. And, you know, it, it'll simply allows you to move forward together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
um, I really like that work is like a dance uh, idea. I've, I've I've written it down. It's it's in my commonplace book. Oh, there we go. So the next question was one that um, I really had to think about, despite mm. you know uh, really feeling like yeah I, I'm I read a lot about productivity and stuff. And the question is simply describe when you feel most productive. And I really had to think about this one because I kind of feel like I'm able to do a lot of stuff. Um, like if I need to fill time, um, I can grab stuff off of my task list and, and do them. Great. Mm-hmm. Is that what makes me feel really productive? Well, it makes me feel like I got stuff done, which is great. But in the context of what we talk about, um, where it comes down to doing deeper work, you know, deep thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a morning person. I, I wake up very early. Uh, I like to plan my day. I've talked about that before, you know, over my first cup of coffee of the, in the morning. Um, but it's usually, I find some of my most productive days is when I come back from lunch and my calendar is completely clear and I can right. sit down and say, there's, n- this is an unbounded frame of time where I can just lose myself, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll usually try and set a reminder myself for the end of the day, just to, you know, do whatever wrap up needs to be done. But, uh, having like a free and clear, uh, schedule, no other commitments is really nice. Um, but that said, I also really enjoy blocking off an hour, hour and a half first thing in the morning for doing some of that deep work before I even check email, before I, you know, look into Mm -hmm. Slack and see what's going on. And, and I like to use that time for more of a, like learning and development kind of stuff. Let me, I'm, my brain is firing on all cylinders and I can just, you know, learn well at that time. Mm -hmm. What about you? When do I feel most productive? That's, that's a good question. When I read this in our, in our show notes document, I had to think about it a lot. And actually like throughout the week, I had a few times at which I felt like I was really in the zone and what i realized is that it's not very it's not so much i can't attribute it to a time of day it's more like it has more to do with being alone <laughs> i find i'm very productive when i'm alone if I i'm able to that, be, yeah yeah like if i'm able to be on my own whether it's in the morning like in the morning is a great time because people aren't like people maybe aren't uh at work yet or in the evening like late in the evening is a good time because say for example uh Shelly will be already in bed and I'll be on the couch with my computer and then I can really you know tear through stuff so definitely being alone um helps me focus so that much I know. 
I wouldn't go so far to say as like I'm a morning person or a night person. I think I think I can do both. Right. And uh, I should reiterate that you and I have very different uh, work environments. I work from home in my own, you know, private office with a closed door. And uh, if I don't want to be interrupted in any way, I can do that just by logging off of Slack, logging off of, uh, you know, email and, and you can't get in touch with me, which, of course, is not really a good idea. <laughs> because sometimes you know you know you need to be pinged but we're also generally really respectful of each other's do not disturb statuses and stuff um whereas, whereas for myself yeah i'm in an open office which makes things a little more complicated absolutely so i would say being alone is definitely one part of it also having a clear goal knowing what i'm Knowing exactly what I'm trying to accomplish and knowing when it's done is a big one as well. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of the work I've been doing recently has been very exploratory where you're kind of, there's a sort of overarching goal, but for the most part, you're just, you're exploring, you're, you're, mm -hmm. you know, just walking through documentation and writing some code and seeing what it does and you know hacking against an api and and so there's not always a clear goal there but uh there's potential for a lot of progress that way too mm. um but i i do agree that having quiet time to yourself uh is is kind of part and parcel with being able to be productive uh in you know like the deep work sense of the uh, of the term uh, at my last job i often came in at 7 30 in the morning uh and i you know i'd leave early as well i i wasn't putting in extra hours necessarily but that extra hour and a half or so before two hours, whatever, before people walked, started walking in. And it was also kind of an open office plan um, was some of the most productive time for me because it wasn't even people coming up to me to talk to me, but just overhearing conversations and, you yeah. know, stuff like that would easily derail me if I were struggling to get into the zone, you know? And, and that's, um, I think, the the tricky part. Once you're in the zone, it's 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 a little harder to pull you out of it inertia and all that but uh definitely um tangent here have you seen th this has gotten a bad rap on twitter but i found it pretty cool i don't check out twitter have, so it doesn't matter have you seen panasonic's horse blinders for people i i yeah i think i saw an article or at least a photo of this I think that looks incredible. I would love to have a pair of those. Well, didn't there used to be a thing where it was kind of like a snuggie that you put over your head and like it it goes over your computer on the other side of it? And so it's just like you and your computer and you're like in, in this tent of silence. Or, yeah, but or that looks flannel. ridiculous. <laughs> it, yeah, I, I mean, more or less ridiculous than blinders. 
Uh, anyways, I saw that. I was I was like on the edge of getting myself some, and then I saw that it was like some Japanese Kickstarter thing, and lost all hope. Oh well. Oh well. On next question. Yeah, on the flip side of when you feel most productive, when do you feel least productive? I find this like now this is a good question. When do I feel least productive? Because I find it really puts in contrast, you know, the work that you feel is making a difference versus the work that you feel is not. For example, I feel least productive when I'm fixing bugs, but not fixing like the underlying issue. Right. You know what I mean? And I feel, I definitely feel most productive when, you know, I'm in this like flow state where I'm able to tackle, you know, the large underlying architectural problems that I feel like we're having in, in our app. Sure. Yeah. Um, we, we used to have, uh, well, I guess we still do like this, this concept of fixing it twice, um, which is, uh, during my days as a support engineer at, at Fog Creek, you know, a customer would email in saying like, I'm, I'm not able to do this. This isn't working for me. What's going on? And you give them a workaround, you know, just to unstick them, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, it's a fix for the customer temporarily. But then going in and really fixing the problem would be uh, the key thing. And I like the way you're taking that to the next level of like, I can fix bugs, but I can go deep and, you know, rather than apply little, you know, rinky dink work around patches instead, let's just solve the problem and, and get rid of the technical debt that's there. That's built up. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for me, this in contrast to it, I found this, uh, interesting where describing when I feel most productive was kind of time-based for me, but describing when I feel least productive was the opposite. It was, um, I, I'm least distracted when I, uh, least productive when I'm most distracted, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of the times the reason for distraction um, is that I haven't really gotten the opportunity to organize myself for my day. You know, I like to see the lay of the land in, in my, you know, morning sort of, where are we at today? Sessions, you know, mm-hmm. um, and naturally, you know, things will come up. Oh, we need to jump on a call with this customer. We need to, uh, you know, or this partner or whatever. Uh, we need to have a quick meeting just to bring everyone up to speed. That's going to happen. And I put in a little bit of slack in my schedule for that. But when your day is just full of surprises and you're just not in in some kind of like control of what am I doing, working on next... I find that there's just my mind doesn't rest. It's constantly mm-hmm. on like ready to context switch and I'm just not able to really focus on things. 
because I need to put out the next fire or whatever. Yeah, definitely. I can <laughs> I can wholeheartedly agree with your sentiment. That that that's what that's what my last week felt like. Yeah, you're going to have those weeks, I know that. Um and that's when having just a list of low focus required kind of tasks that you can knock mm. off, you know, is really handy. Because then you don't feel like everything, even if it's just administrative kind of stuff, at least you don't feel like the, the, the week was wasted. You got some stuff done while you right. were running from meeting to meeting or whatever. Yeah, or putting out fire after fire. For sure. Fire prevention, not fire extinguishers. <laughs> um, the next question was, uh, you know, asking... There were a couple of uh, sort of related follow-up questions, um, interrelated follow-up questions. One was, what are your communication no-nos? And the one after that was asking, what communication practices have worked for you in the past and could be helpful to incorporate at you know your current organization? Um, I feel like we can talk about both of these together mm -hmm. or we can split them up, but... Uh, yeah, uh, I I did feel that this was uh, this was important to me. How so? Well, I mean, obviously, uh, if if work is a dance, then you know uh, you need to be able to read your partner, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's pretty important, I, I think, as you know, a, a professional dancer myself, which I'm not. Um, so you know, communication is is kind of paramount to um, doing good work as a team. Uh, and so if you're, you're conscientious of what your team, or at least your, your manager or whoever reports to you, if you're, if you're, um, if you know what works for them and what doesn't work for them, you can kind of, you know, dial in that, that process for feedback and for, mm -hmm. you know, planning and whatever. So because we're a distributed team, I work remotely. Uh, you know, most of my communication is via Slack or video chat, right? Mm -hmm. um, something that has worked really well in the past for me is just assuming good intentions from everyone all the time you know uh especially mm -hmm. with you know text and chat conversations you you can't infer any kind of tone right right um so you just have this whatever is kind of going on in in the back of your head is is something that can color what you're reading that somebody else is typing um other things if my slack status is do not disturb uh, you can push through a notification in slack for for those that don't know to somebody whose uh, status is in do not disturb so you can say like no i really need you to interrupt this person um i that's okay 
but I, you know, it's okay if um, you're on fire, I'm on fire, or everything is on fire. Otherwise, right. you know, like there's a reason I'm in a do not disturb status. And I, I'm, I'm being a little facetious, obviously, but uh, generally speaking, and I, I like that Slack signals this is like you are intentionally interrupting this person. You're yeah. going to, you know, th- this person is probably on do not disturb for a reason. Uh, you're interrupting them. So that can sort of change the behavior a little bit. Other things, uh, Slack is great for real-time conversation, sure. Um, but I generally prefer asynchronous conversation. So I think it's just less disruptive for everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on top of that, it makes things a little more searchable. If you try and like look for something in a Slack channel, it's not really fun. But if I search my email inbox or if I search like fog bugs for a case that we worked on or we, we use Notion as well, um, you build up a, a knowledge base that's shareable mm-hmm. amongst not just the team, but like new people, uh, forgetful people like me, uh, you know, just anyone that... Uh, might need that context can look for it and they don't even need to know that it was a conversation that happened so i like that uh uh Hmm. and and the last kind of communication thing is a little bit tool-based i i don't run the slack desktop app i run slack as a pin tab and uh desktop notifications are not enabled because I, I I check Slack fairly frequently. Like whenever I'm, you know, uh, at a good point in the work that I'm doing, I jump back and forth to that tab. And I can mm-hmm. see, you know, when there's activity or where, when there's like a, a notification for me by the, the, the icon in the, in the pin tab. But it's not competing for real estate on my desktop. And the less I have going on on my desktop, the more I can focus on the stuff I'm doing right now. So those are those are things that work for me. Um, what about you? I really like when you talk about like assuming good intentions, and I have I have a rule that's kind of in the same vein where I try and like I have like a 100% no tolerance policy on cynicism. Nice. I think that it's not helpful. It like, I mean, it's it's toxic and like, okay, I, I understand you want to be snarky and you know it can be funny from time to time, but really, like, it does more harm than good. So I rather keep cynicism to like an absolute minimum, and you know, assume good intentions from everyone, and not talk about things like. Oh, here we go again, you know? Yeah, um, that you're absolutely right that that can be kind of toxic. Uh, and I, I don't know if it necessarily makes an organization more prone to 
something like gossip, you know? Yeah. Uh, things, you know, moving uh, and, and, you know, fake news spreading through the, the grapevine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fake news. Oh, no. Um, but it's... Um, I, I feel like... I don't have any any anything to back me up on this, but I feel like an organization that tends to be more or a group that tends to be a little more cynical, a little more sarcastic or whatever, maybe doesn't, you know, information doesn't flow um, as effectively in it. Right. And I mean, you know, it's disempowering. It's like you're taking the, it's like you're automatically taking the stance that, oh, we have this problem and we can't do anything about it. You know, when that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some things take longer than others to solve, but, you know, it's a dance. You gotta learn to dance. Yeah, but don't dance cynically. <laughs> so, I would say that that's a big one for me. Um, another thing that I really... This is something that I have from from an, an older job, is that this is like a company that went from pretty small to very large um relatively quickly like over four or five years and like communication broke down yeah like it was bad that's hard and then but in order to get things back on track you know they hired like a management consultant to come in and the bobs <clears throat> but what was actually what was actually really cool is what came out of this is that um they ended up building, you know, like clear communication channels for for different kinds of issues. And once everyone was on board, it was magnificent because nice. if something would happen, like you receive a certain type of email, you know how long you can take before you answer, you know, right. You know, um, like no one's going to come see you and, and tell you like, hey, I sent you an email. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. I've, I've had that, that happen. I guess everyone has had that happen. <laughs> yeah. Or you're not going to get... This used to happen to me where I would get a call from someone to tell me that they sent me an email like five minutes earlier and be like, okay, cool. I, I got... I see it there in my inbox. I can confirm that it's reached me. So, yeah, having clear communication channels... Uh, I think helps smooth out many, many problems that people have around communication. And sometimes it feels heavy handed and sometimes it feels like, you know, like, like, like it's too much process, but I think it's worth that burden because in a way, you know, it's what allows people to get things done and kind of push them towards doing their best work. Right. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if that was was that in an office like normal kind of everybody shows up at the office kind of organization or yeah, yeah, uh, and at least there you can be a little more face to face. When it's a distributed team, it becomes even more uh, difficult, hmm. and you can all almost end up with like this. Um, well, let's tack on this tool and see if that helps let's tack on this tool you know uh you know let's let's run uh you know stand-ups in this and then we'll do we'll open like a trello card or whatever for 
um, are, you know, just whatever your, uh, what did you do today? Kind of like team check-ins uh, or weekly check-ins. Um, and then there's emails that go back and forth and then there's Slack and then there's, I don't know, like stack overflow for teams, you know, where you got like some mm -hmm. knowledge there and some knowledge there. Uh, and, and then on top of all of that, you, you know, where the channels are, uh, well, there are several and you're never quite sure what goes where on top of that, if you don't have some kind of with people working different time zones and so on, how long should I wait for a reply to an email, you know, right. or better put, uh, when I need an answer ASAP, what do I do when I need an answer, but it's not really time critical what kind of response time can should I expect on an mm -hmm. email? You know, things like that. Uh, yeah, that's that's definitely. that's really important. That's that's yeah, paramount. Yeah, and another practice. Actually, I have two other practices I think are really interesting. Um, the first is I was talking with my brother-in-law actually about something <laughs> something related to this uh, last night, where uh, he works at an engineering firm and. Well, he worked at an engineering firm where they required him to sign a document stating how they would write dates. Wow. How they would date documents. That's funny. Because that, can be, because that can get pretty confusing pretty quickly. So they have the whole mm -hmm. company standardized on, on like year hyphen month with a zero hyphen day with a zero and just in like just as a way to you know avoid confusion make sure everyone's on the same page if you get something dated like, <laughs> like if you get something dated like 5 5 2018 um is that the 5th of may or no wait no that's probably a bad <laughs> yeah i think that's the five, only time six. it actually works <laughs> <laughs> damn it it works <laughs> five six 2018 like what does that mean is it is it the 6th of may is it the 5th of june who knows yeah or you know uh just two numbers two digits for the year and then you don't even know if this is a current document anymore was this from 2011 right. of uh you know may or is this you know whatever uh <laughs> That's really funny because uh, because of the fact that most of the team that I work with is in the U.S. and they use mm -hmm. that um, wacky month, day, year, month first, yeah, like oh, which man. I I mean, you do you, but I'm I'm fully on board the Y Y Y dash M M dash D D, you know, um, yeah, date formatting. Yeah, so that's the first thing that I think is really important. Well, really important. I thought it was really interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, but another practice that I think is important is getting your work out there as soon as possible. So here's, right. what, here's what I think is, is, is what we want to avoid, where you work on a feature for, you know, three days, four days, a whole week. You create a pull request, and then your team tells you like that's not quite what we had in mind or that's not quite how we envisioned that implementation if 
you have a culture where you can, you know, get work out in front of people, even when it's like not complete and they can have a quick look and tell you like if you're going in the right direction or not, or if, or if they're, or if they have any feedback that I think can avoid many, many problems. Absolutely. Um, we have, we have our public, uh, employee handbook, um, and it describes our company values. And there are several that kind of address this issue, like communicating clearly, obviously continuously mm. is, uh, is really important. Uh, but also just narrating our work, just, you know, there's a place where you're, as you're working, you're updating and you, whether that's a spec in like a Google doc or, a case in fog bugs or a notion card or whatever, you know, you're, you're constantly like keeping people apprised of what's going on. And also, you know, that's uh, really interesting. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the, the, the next value after that is soliciting feedback and suggestions hmm. because, um, the underlying idea being that we don't work alone, you know, and we do our best work. Uh, as a team where we bounce ideas off each other and we're all, uh, as you said, up to date so that we don't have to worry about what, um, you know, coding ourselves into a corner with something because mm. we know what the plan is. Those are great tips. All right, let's move on. Sure. Uh, the next question was what types of support motivate you the most? So I'm curious to hear what, what your thoughts are on this. I had a hard time with this one. That's why I'm, I'm asking. <laughs> what, what type of support motivates me the most? I feel like more so than, than like someone telling me, Oh, you know, good job with X or whatever. What I like to hear is thank you. Yes. You know, like when a, when a manager comes to me and says, like, you know, thank you for being so responsive yesterday. You, you we were able to get to get through this issue together faster because you were there like that. That I like mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when when I work on in or like when I work on a bug and someone on the team says, you know, thank you for taking care of this. I didn't want to. Like, I didn't want to touch that with a 10-foot pole. But, like, yeah, like, all good, bro. Boom. Right. You know, fist yeah. bump. Yeah. We have a, a, a practice here that goes back years and years and years. Uh, at the start of our monthly town hall meetings, we give bravo, bravos to other teammates. So we spend, like, I don't know, 15 minutes just... Um, saying, hey, I just want to give a shout out to colleague X. Uh, they have been working tirelessly on whatever. Uh, it, it's really, you know, they've been doing a great job. And I want, you know, to publicly say thank you for that. You know, mm. and that culture of gratitude is really, it's really something wonderful. Because we've all had that thing where... <clears throat> we feel our work doesn't get recognized, you know, mm -hmm. or, or not even our work, but some contribution that we feel we're making kind of goes under the radar. And then it feels, 
it feels a little like you know just like you're underappreciated uh or or worse you know like somebody saying like uh taking credit for the work that you've done you know that that's even worse mm -hmm. so um building that into the team culture really really makes a difference and the really nice thing about it is because you're always thinking about like oh yeah i want to make sure to you know uh give a bravo to so and so for doing x you're kind of building gratitude into your day process but yeah. not even not even into your process but into your day into your mm -hmm. into like this is the way that i operate i operate i'm coming from a place of giving credit where credit is due of saying thank you you know and it's really easy to push that out into the the other areas of your life mm -hmm. um and that's something that for me has been really really interesting Uh, the other, what my thinking on, I had a hard time with this question too. Um, I mean, I'm largely the self-motivated and disciplined type. I've got work to do. I'm going to do it. So I don't, mm -hmm. I don't necessarily need support to motivate me. Right. But, uh, you know, as you said, it's nice to hear that your your work or, you know, your bad jokes are appreciated. Uh, <laughs> but what motivates me, I think, in a team situation is having the team's trust. Having, the mm -hmm. you know, my manager's trust. Having, if, you know, if you've got people uh, that report to you, having their trust. You know, I think that's key. Uh if you've ever been micromanaged, like, you know, that feeling of like, why am I even here? Like, how about I right. just hand you my keyboard? Because it really doesn't feel like you think I'm going to do this properly. But when somebody says, you've got this, don't worry about it. It'll be fine. That kind of makes me want to live up to that, you know, ex expectation, yeah, you know? So, yeah, I would say that that, I think, is is really great. Other things, you know, that are, are really nice is having a team that's going to jump in and help you when you're, you're swamped or you're out sick or whatever. Mm -hmm. Things like that, of course, are very motivating because, you know, it makes you want to give back, hopefully. Or else you're maybe not a good fit for that team. But... Um, right. More than anything else for me, I think it's the, the, the trust thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, another, another thing that, that has kind of, uh, that's kind of like popped up in my, in my mind is that I enjoy working with people who are like generous with their time, you know, like if they see that I'm stuck on something, they'll, you know, they'll like ping me on Slack and say like, Hey, do you want to hop on a call so we can talk through this problem together? Yes, absolutely. You know, maybe, maybe you're missing something. And that I think is, that's, it's really nice to work in that type of environment, you know? Yeah. It's not, you know, it's not every person for themselves. It, it, it really helps reinforce that, that team dynamic, you know, that we're all moving forward together. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, that's something that I didn't really think about. I probably just because it's so like typical here, you mm -hmm. know, where it's like, Hey, let's jump into, um, you know, uh, let's jump into a pair programming session. Let's jump into, you know, and glitch is great for that. Obviously let's jump into, um, you know, a Slack call or a screen sharing, whatever. Mm -hmm. It just, it's, you know, even just for brainstorming, uh, really, really great. Yeah. All right, moving on. Yeah, the, the next couple of questions are uh, asking about uh, what parts of your previous jobs did you love the most or most excited about? And which ones did you like the least? And I think, you know, I, I, I don't want to... Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but maybe, you know, the idea of... What did you learn about your working style mm. over the course of your working career? Uh, might be um, uh, an interesting approach to this question. Right. Um, one of the things that I find kind of surprising and that I've learned about myself is that I really like to work with people, especially in different teams. So... I'll gladly, you know, go to, for example, like the, the QA team's scrum in the morning and see what, you know, the latest issues are. Are they having problems like automating the app? If so, like, is there any, like, is there anything I can do to make that process easier? Um, mm -hmm. I really like working with people and it's very rewarding too, because people like, people like to know that they have support from other teams right, right? yeah absolutely so that i feel like is is the biggest one for me and like coming from a like coming from a like a development like i don't know like a typical developer mindset that might not be what what one would expect right um i'm I don't know. There's... I guess I guess the stereotype is like you know someone at his computer, like hunched over with with headphones on and kind of ignoring the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, but I I really like to get up from my chair every day and see people. Yeah, and you know, really, you know, dig at like like what problems are they having? Like what are their issues? And how can I help? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I... It's important, I think, to um, keep in mind that like whatever work you're doing, even if it is, you know, the kind of development work, for example, that lends itself to I'm just sitting at my desk focused on this and I'm solving problems. It's important to like come back and think about the fact that this is a thing that is happening in the world and mm -hmm. it will be put out into the world. It will have an effect on real people uh, and those real people are both people inside and outside of your um, organization, you know? So just the act of getting up and talking to teammates, saying like, how is this working for you? Is I think that's what differentiates a good developer from an incredible developer, you know? Um, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, 
value add or whatever, you know? <laughs> um, and so that's something that I realize is that I also um, like interacting with people as part of my work. Uh, I don't think I could be just a heads down type of person. So, uh, you know, doing professional services work, um, things like that, where I'm communicating with a partner, you know, on a project that I'm building for them, uh, mm -hmm. doing, a, and even things like, oh, doing some of the project management that's involved with that. Um, and as part of that looping in, do I need to tap in somebody from this team or that team, um, What's happening? You know, how are we on schedule? How are things going on this? You know, did we get the requirements down right? Um, hmm. You know, things like that. Uh, where once you see, well, you know, extending your metaphor about work being like a dance, like choreographing all of the moving parts, right? Uh, and and all of the, the 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 people on the floor on the dance floor is really satisfying. You know, it's really nice. Some of the things I did not like included, well, we talked about open plan offices being kind of ripe for distraction, right? Mm -hmm. um, I also really, really didn't like commuting. I, <laughs> I, you know, like uh, I may be a hermit. I'm Who not does? Sure. Well, yeah, it, it was what I remember from commuting and I would take the public transit in because I was working in a downtown core. It wasn't that long a commute, you know, half an hour or so. Um, was just, you could feel everyone's tension on the way there and on mm -hmm. the way back. And so then what you're doing is bookmarking your day with just this stressful, tense period of time. So that, you know... For myself, it takes me a little time to kind of shrug that off, which means I'm bringing it into the start of my workday and I'm bringing it into the start of my evening home, you know, with where, you mm -hmm. know, I, I just want to be at peace and I want to be sort of in the moment. I don't want to be thinking about the, you know, the jerk that cut in line at the bus stop or, or you right. know, the metro breaking down and standing around for 40 minutes waiting for things to start working again. Um, so, yeah, I, I do not miss commuting. I, sometimes I miss commuting, but uh, as an everyday occurrence, I do not miss commuting. And I mean, if you ever want to commute, you can just, you know, get up off your chair and walk outside and go to yeah. like a coffee shop or something, right? Yeah, I could. That's that's for sure. Um that is one of the advantages of remote work. And, and I, I enjoy, you know, I do this more for personal, uh, projects. Uh, but I do enjoy going to a coffee shop, sitting down with my laptop and mm. it's a different place. So, uh, I tend to think differently, you know, we yeah. talked about habit fields yeah, yeah. a little bit there. So, yeah. Uh, what about you? Anything in particular that you found didn't work for you uh in um, terms of the way you yeah work? so so earlier i was talking about 
like this company that I was at that really, you know, like decided to like, you know, implement these communication channels and I guess you can call them like, like SLAs on how, on like, you know, how long you wait, uh, in order to like get a response. Um, but before that, so I was, I was working in uh, developer support. So supporting like the SDK of this company and the clients could, you know, be pretty big clients as an international company, um, in the security industry. So what I didn't like was feeling helpless, you know, like wanting to help someone and, and just seeing that like, I can't, you know, like maybe there's some critical issue in the software that like I'm, I can't fix, yeah. for example, and they're on a deadline and, you know, like the Estonian elections are not going to be rescheduled because of this. So, right. <laughs> so I that I don't know it I feel like I'm under a lot of pressure to help this person out but there's nothing I can really do that's a terrible feeling and it's especially worse uh, if your job depends on the metrics of like how many you know mm customer you know requests right. did you solve today which thankfully i've never had to you know worry about you know things like time to first response and stuff like that um mm -hmm. uh, it was much more of a take your time figure out the issue and and help as much as possible as long as it takes you know do it right, right. don't do it fast mm-hmm but yeah yeah it, i've never really like i've never really been in that type of situation either yeah but when there's you know but when there's like some external deadline right yeah sometimes you don't just, have any control over it absolutely and and you feel the the pressure you know mm -hmm. because you want to do right you know you, exactly you want to help taking pride in your work is such a burden <laughs> But yeah, and I feel like that's what was really stuck with me the most. And and funnily enough, this was at like, I guess the beginning of my career. Yeah, right. And I still I, I still have vivid memories of of that period of time and how stressful it was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, you know, uh, I I also did some support based work, uh, and what I realized was I was doing professional services work as part of that where I was building out features or customizations or scripting against our API or whatever. So it was a okay. fair bit of dev work, but there was at, at least as much uh, sort of queue based work. Mm -hmm. And what I realized about queue based work, um, it's, you need to balance it against um, sort of more creative work, something a little more a little deeper because it's really easy to burn out on that. But more importantly, you can get really, really good at answering, solving a customer's problem via email. That's not going to stem the tide of emails coming in, you know, uh, which yeah. takes us back to the kind of like the idea of, I, I sometimes feel like I'm not sure what the point of like things like inbox zero are. Because there's always going to be more email that comes in. 
it's good to have a process for dealing with it quickly. Um, but it's also kind of like, kind of like laundry as you can be awesome at laundry. There's always going to be more laundry to do, you know? Right. Um, and, and you've got to do it. So you have to be Zen about it. Um, but it was certainly the kind of thing that gave me, um, I, I just found it hard to feel like I was progressing, you know, even though after a while I was, you know, I, I was very good at it, but, mm-hmm. um, I didn't feel, it's nice to feel like you helped someone. It's great when you see that aha moment, you know, yeah. we, we figured it fulfilling. out. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, but, uh, there, there was just something about it that didn't work very well for me. Um, and I don't think it was the work itself because I, you know, I enjoyed chatting with my, the, the customers. I enjoyed, uh, solving the problems because they were real interesting problems. It wasn't, you know, uh, mm-hmm. how do I X? It was, you know, much deeper. Um, but at the same time, uh, for some reason, I, I think it was just, it gave me pause because I realized that, or I don't know, I, I, not even that. I think it just, it made me realize that there are a lot of things that we do that we get really good at that, um, don't necessarily contribute to you doing what you feel is more productive. Maybe. I don't know. I like, I I'm really still trying to flesh this out in my head, but it's something like that. You can be really good at answering support emails, but I, but the best position to be in is to not have support emails. Which is why we don't ship any bugs anymore, ever. <laughs> so working towards reducing that is probably more productive than, you know, than being really good yeah. at answering. And that's where things like our fix it twice policy, you know, that we were talking about becomes very effective because, mm-hmm. and what was really interesting about that work is that we had the agency to go in and fix the the root cause and not just the... Um, uh, you know, bandaid over the symptom kind of thing. Right. You know, so, uh, that's most of what was on this questionnaire. Um, there's a lot more to talk about, I think. Uh, but anything you want to close with? Uh, yeah. So Angelo lied and there's actually, one question that I want to get to, which is probably less relevant to what we're okay, talking about sure. here. But the three great things or areas of expertise that no one knows about you. I'm uh, curious yeah. to know. I'm curious to know one of yours, Angelo. Uh, one of mine. Um, so I, I, I play piano for a while. Um, uh, I took lessons for many, many years, taught myself guitar too. And then just out of nowhere, stopped playing 
I think because I just got very busy with university. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, though, because I still consider myself a musician, even though I haven't touched an instrument really, you know, seriously in 10 years or something. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I've been thinking about that a, a bit lately. Just, you know, the new year is coming up and it always makes me think about like, hey, what do I want to, you know, focus on, you know? New Year, New Me. And I'm thinking about <laughs> maybe picking up a uh, a guitar again or, you know. Uh, oh. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. So no promises. Hey, you, you can make our intro music. Yeah, there you go. What about you? Uh, oh, let's see. Great thing or area of expertise that no one knows about me. Um, I lived a year in Japan at the age of 16. Wow. And went to high school, went to like a real Japanese high school, um, lived with real Japanese families. It was, uh, it was an incredible experience. Uh, I picked up a lot of Japanese and I haven't really been practicing. This has been what, like close to, close to 15 years now since that's happened. And it's still something I think about every day. Where in Japan were you? Uh, in uh, Saitama, so just north of Tokyo, but close enough to Tokyo right. um, for me to like be able to go on the weekends and stuff. Neat. Oh yeah, we're we're planning on in in the next uh, two to three years taking a trip to Japan. So uh, I'm I'm always looking for recommendations on like where to go and what to check out. And now it turns out I have a, a, a guide, a tour guide, who's, who's maybe only about 15, 16 years out of date. <laughs> I mean, how much could have changed in that time? Right. My, my Japanese music repertoire has not changed in the past 15 years. So I still listen to what's pop to like what was popular in like 2004 and 2005. That's awesome. Incredibly bizarre. Cool. Um, so that's it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I guess just to wrap it up, I think it's really uh, th- this was a really thought provoking exercise for me as part of my 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 new position. Um, I really liked working on it, whereas I, I'm sure a lot of people would see it kind of like as a just a chore. Um, but I it really made me. Uh, think about and and when I had my one-to-one with my my manager uh discussing you know we each discussed our answers to this uh it it was you know eye-opening and it really helped to kind of uh help understand each other and more importantly I think that you can treat this kind of thing as a living document you know that you can come back to every so often and say hey this is where I was at on you know, in November of 2018, uh, it's six months later, it's a year later, it's five years later. How do I feel about these things? What's changed? What hasn't changed? Because that might provide some interesting insight for you, you know, Mm -hmm. either. We always talk about like the importance of introspection with like on how we do our work. Well, this is a great impetus for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, you learn by doing, uh, but you also learn a lot by reflection on the work mm-hmm. you're doing. 
So, you know, this is reflection, like it's super meta reflection on, you know, working better. Super meta reflection. Yeah. Ultra mega meta. Have an excellent Sunday, Angelo. Same to you, Frank. Have a good one.